You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. Then I sing my last song at Triple Play. Do you want it? to the real world. I'm your host, Alex, and we're broadcasting live from unceded Muscombe and Coast Salish territory. We're on the UBC campus in Vancouver, BC. Um, real world is associated with UBC Film Society, which is one of the oldest clubs on campus and arguably one of the best clubs. Who knows? Um, yeah, welcome back. We were here last week for um, 24 hours of student power, and we watched uh, Parasite. How could I? I almost forgot that for a second. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about good time, but before we get to that, um, I have a few housekeeping things to go through, I guess. Um, so first of all, uh, the next UBC Film Society norm screening is going to be on February 6th. They're showing The Last Unicorn and um, Wild at Heart. I've never actually seen Wild at Heart, so I would love to attend that. But it's going to be at the norm um, at 6 p.m. Doors are at 6. And if you want more details, you can check out um, the UBC Film Society Facebook. That has, like, what time each film is at if you only want to go to one or the other. Um, other big news is that CITR's Fun Drive is kicking off 
in the next week. Um, so I think the official kickoff is on February 6th. It's going to be in the Hatch Gallery. Um, you can check out CITR's Facebook for more details about that. But I think it'll be a really cool time. There's a lot of um, student artists and musicians um, who are going to be there. And then phone lines are going to be open for FunDrive from February 6th to the 13th. Um, if you have never heard about FunDrive, it is the um, big way that CITR fundraises money. Um, we need all your support to make this kind of really good quality local programming happen. Um, the station wouldn't be here without all of you guys, all of our listeners. Um, so yeah, please consider donating. You can either donate um, when phone lines open or you can donate at citr.ca slash donate at any time before or after. Um, yeah, it's going to be there. And exciting news. So for FunDrive, we're going to have some um, really cool prizes for uh, you guys that's available with, with a donation. Um, so I have two pairs of tickets to a VIF event. Um, that's a screening of the Giverny document. Um, it's going to be February 26th at 8 p.m. at the Van City Theater. The Giverny document is directed by Jatovia Gary. It's filmed on location in Harlem, um, USA, and in Claude Monet's Historic Gardens in Giverny, France. Um, the film is a multi-textured cinematic poem that meditates on the safety and bodily autonomy of black women. Filmmaker Jatovia Gary unleashes an arsenal of techniques and materials, including direct animation on archival 16mm film, women on the street interviews, and montage editing techniques to explore the creative virtuosity of black femme performance figures while interrogating the histories of those bodies as spaces of forced labor and commodified production. Um, I think that'll be a really, really cool event, and we have two pairs of tickets um, available for that with a $25 donation. So one pair for a $25 donation, which I think is pretty fair. You're supporting your favorite film talk show and getting to see a really cool um, film event at VIF. Um, beyond that, we're gonna have two pairs of tickets just for general programming at VIF. Again, each pair is available for a $25 donation. And then I also have three pairs of tickets for the Rio Theater. Each pair is $25 donation. Um, this is a cool incentive to donate if you already just didn't feel super excited about donating. Um, and it gives you opportunity to get involved in Vancouver film stuff and all these like really cool hubs and venues we have for, for watching film in this city. Um, yeah, I think that about sums up my little announcements. So we are going to head to good time. I have a couple of amazing guests in here today. Um, my roommate, Bex. Hello. And we have a resident good time expert, Brian. Hello. Hi. Welcome. You Thank you. It's really exciting to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, Brian was in my living room last night watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> a nice little screening. Yeah, we, we do that sometimes. Um, he's seen it. This is my, how many this times? Is my fifth time. Five times. Okay. I can't imagine watching that movie that many times. Like I think I would be a really like anxious person. It's, it, it's easier after the third. And then, like, fourth is, like, you start to notice the fun things. And the fifth one is just, like, like seeing an old friend. <laughs> like, what a way to describe it. I guess I could see that, like, beneath the kind of anxiety and absurdity stuff, there is, like, some kind of comedy there, too. Um, I don't know if I got that deep to it. I was pretty <laughs> tired last night, but um, we're going we're gonna to dig deep in it today. Um... Yeah, so Good Time um, is from 2017. It's directed by Josh and Benny Softie, um, who you might recognize as the directors of Uncut Gems as well, which we might touch on today. Um, but yeah, maybe one of you guys can start me off with a little bit of synopsis. Well, Brian, I think uh, you should do that. I'll do my, I'll do my best. Uh, yeah, so Good Time is a, I guess you could call it like a crime thriller um about it's uh robert pattinson of twilight fame is uh basically this like this guy from new york who's just trying to help his help help his uh himself, uh, himself <laughs> sure himself his and his uh i don't know the okay term for it but his his mentally disabled mentally brother. disabled brother uh trying to get them to like a better place starts off with a bank robbery goes wrong 
and it's it, there's not a whole lot of a plot really. No, it's, it's just like a bunch of things. It's keep just a going bunch wrong. of really stressful things. Yeah. You're just watching Robert Pattinson talk his way out of situations and it's then incredible. get into worse situations. Um, yeah, but I think it's really, I think it's it's delightful. Uh, well, I don't know if delightful is the right <laughs> word. Entertaining, exciting. Very exciting. I yeah. think exciting is a great word, to, a great way to put it. Whoa! For some reason, when you were explaining that, I just thought about of mice and men. Like the book, not at all familiar. You've never no, you never had to read never that in high school that. for no, real. No, I avoided reading in high school. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. Well, of mice and men, I just realized has a very very similar plot. Could oh. you give us a synopsis? Yeah, of so there's two brothers. I forgot their names. I'm sorry to my brothers English teacher. One set, one set of one set of brothers. Okay. Um, one brother is like mentally disabled. One and the other one is is kind of promising them like a a good future. Like they want to buy a farm. Mm-hmm. Um. It's, oh, oh, it's wow. actually very, oh, they, they very similar. When okay, that, yeah. when um, Nick, mm-hmm. the the not, he's on the phone. He's on the jail. phone in jail, and he's talking to his mom, and he's like, "We were gonna go to Virginia. We were gonna buy a farm, and we were yeah. gonna like get away from this." But wow, yeah, wow. I'm gonna actually do That's some really research on that during we, the break because yeah. I totally. That's huge. I didn't think about it until you explained it in your own terms. Um, but in of mice and men, like all these things go wrong holy crap this is insane and the whole the whole big kind of takeaway from of mice and men is this line that like the best laid the best laid plans gang after glay which means like the best laid plans go wrong essentially sure which Mm -hmm. i think we can agree is a definite component of brothers of good that's actually okay yeah the safties have an obsession with uh people trying really hard and failing at things the hustle yeah, it's they're obsessed with the hustle. They're obsessed with like, um, really making really unsympathetic concepts, put and putting them into sympathetic characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and so both this and Uncut Gems have like they feel like they're like fables. Like they feel like they're some it, sort of like modern adaptation yeah. of something right. like mice of mice and men. So that makes like perfect sense wow that is insane i'm actually really gonna look that up if they had to read that in high school or something that book that book really sticks with me for some reason i don't know why um yeah so the i just want to touch on one thing when they do rob the bank what kind of goes wrong is the die in the money explodes and everything turns red and so that kind of leads to going downhill because that money is unusable at that point, mm-hmm. which is why this this is kind of one thing after another, him trying to make more money, right? Um, kind of leading yeah. to the yeah. Plot. Um, I just wanted to start with the opening, maybe that we're f- like how we're first introduced to the characters. Mm-hmm. So Nick is in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of struggling to answer these questions that the therapist is asking him. He's in tears for a lot of it. So we're kind of feeling like you know he doesn't like this. He doesn't want to be here. And then how we're introduced to Connie is um, him just like bursting through the door and and telling the therapist, you know, that he's taking his brother away. He doesn't need to be here. He doesn't need this. And then we go directly to the bank robbery. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, Which is a pretty like crazy contrast between like, oh, like my brother getting what he needs, you know, from a health perspective to, you know, kind of exploiting him and Mm -hmm. using him as an accomplice. Right. And Nick seems to have, his brother seems to have no idea that this is kind of what they're doing. Like, he, uh, Connie puts him in a mask and a different outfit mm-hmm. and takes him into where they're going to, I don't know what it was. A, it wasn't a bank. I think it was a bank. It was a bank? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Just yeah. like local. Small. And Nick just stands there. Yeah. And it made me think, like, did Connie really need to have his brother there? Because he just involved him in what happened. Mm-hmm. But it was like a support system. He needed that support but I, I also think that i i think the really interesting thing about their relationship is that it doesn't seem like connie is genuinely is like using him mm-hmm. in, in any way at least to me it seems like he really does genuinely love his brother and like thinks that he knows what's best for mm-hmm. him i mean that's the whole idea with like taking him out of therapy there's that line when he's like they're walking out and he's like you think you're like one of these people which is like not a great line but mm-hmm. it, it very clearly displays like his feelings towards his brother and thinking that he's like, no, like everybody that's telling you like, Oh, you have something wrong with you. That's not true. I'm here to protect you. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I also think that I think that involving his brother in this crime is almost a way for Connie of 
like teaching him how to like teaching him responsibility in like a really like very like wrong way like very confused way but i think he's like oh i'm trying to teach you about the real world i'm trying to Mm. teach you like be independent there's like a scene when they're in the alley and they're taking off their disguises they're wearing these like masks and he nick is like yelling at connie to like take his mask off for him but then connie's just standing there he's like remember like we practiced this like and he's like having him do it himself so there's Mm. these very like big brotherly and i don't know who's older and who's younger but it feels like connie takes on that like big brother younger Mm -hmm. brother perspective which is really fascinating because it's like when you're contrasting it with like committing crime and like using like somebody who's not entirely aware of the situation sort of to your advantage it's like a pretty hefty conflict yeah i think it's interesting too i don't know when you said that his reasoning connie's reasoning and bringing nick along um i remember last night you mentioned something about the scene where later in the film um connie is watching the cops rerun and he's like turn this off like i don't want to hear how they justify this i feel like for me i kind of tie that back to his decision to bring nick along with him to commit this Mm. crime and that it's kind of maybe i don't know maybe Mm. this is a stretch but his way of justifying what they're doing as well because he is like you know trying to provide for his brother and he Mm -hmm. does want them to have a better future Mm -hmm. but that's like the way he's justifying not only committing the crime but also like exploiting his brother right to some extent yeah. well it's like when you have to when you do something as kind of like as like i guess radical as like robbing a bank particularly in this kind of like pursuit of happiness style um you do have to ignore a lot of signs and that's very present in the movie is like this like refusal of certain things and like the very like brushing off which also feels like I mean, I've never been to New York. I don't know anything about being like New York culture, but it, that seems very New York of just like I have a single path and like somebody's interrupting me and I'm just gonna kind of say fuck you and, and walk away. Am I allowed to swear? No, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay, okay, that's my one. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> Alas, um, well, there is something to his charisma that like allows him to do that, mm-hmm. um, and I think we see later on in the film that he had never been in jail. He's just kind of almost been there and he just hasn't been caught. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. that keeps proving his charisma right. I don't know if that makes sense. Like he's constantly able to get away with things because he's never gotten caught. Mm-hmm. And so bringing his brother along is like he's never gotten caught. So having his brother, they're never going to get caught, the two of them. Yeah, he sees right. maybe Connie sees himself as like an exception yeah, to the, the rule. Yeah. I think we definitely see that when he's talking to Ray near closer to the end and ray you know is trying to get to him and try to be like i don't judge you for what you did you know i'm the last person to judge i just did time Mm -hmm. have you ever been to prison and connie just flips out and he's like don't try to be real real with me like Like, you don't know who i am yeah Yeah, and he he really makes that distinction like i'm not like you yeah you're a loser like you have no function in life yeah. And that was really he's not a real criminal and well Connie very is. indicative of, it, well of Connie. He, he very ha- he very much has this like he has a, like a lot of purpose like internal purpose he talks about his purpose yeah before he goes in like before he like abandons that girl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the car he's like this is like tonight is the night is like this is very like integral to my self and my being what a weird thing to say right what an doesn't insane that feel thing super like kitsilano but, <laughs> <laughs> but actually i'm pretty sure now that i think about it i, I got my hair cut yesterday and, and a woman in the uh, like next to me was talking about her purpose and like her baseline happiness so <laughs> i have never i don't know i would not talk about that in like a hair salon or to no. anyone I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um no but it, it, i think that again and i don't know if i'm just charmed by robert pattinson mm-hmm. i don't know if he's if he's yeah. doing the same thing to the girl that he is to me and just convincing me, but it seems like he's being genuine. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't seem like he's like, oh, this is what I'm gonna say to like get out of, you know, like oh, I'm yeah. tied up in this weird thing with this, this poor girl. Now I got to get out of it. I'm gonna say this like clever stuff. It's never conniving. I feel like in other films you can see the character think about how they're gonna mm-hmm. be charismatic. With him, it's just so natural manipulating people. Yeah. It's a part of him. Yeah. But it's so it seems like he almost like genuinely, he believes, genuinely it. believes it. He genuinely believes it. Or maybe right. he does genuinely believe it. Yeah. 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 It's like some kind of delusion mm-hmm. thing, maybe. Um, you mentioned, I don't know, having like never been to New York and you feel like you don't totally understand that part of yeah. it or whatever. But 
from what I read about like the Softy Brothers films, New York is like pretty essential, at least yeah. in like this and Uncut Gems, yeah. and kind of like capturing mm-hmm. the essence of mm-hmm. New York, I guess. And they're from what I read about Uncut Gems, they were kind of um, like they didn't want to have all of the the notices up that like they're filming and mm-hmm. things like that, but like that's what has to happen on a big budget film. Mm-hmm. They're not like doing these tiny little shoots anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess for you guys, I haven't seen Uncut Gems, but both of you guys have. But um, just looking at their work, I guess, mm-hmm. how do you think place is important, especially New York? Oh, I think it ties so much with the personalities of the characters. Like that, it, specifically that drive and that hustle. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, that one path. Um, and I was reading that the Safdie brothers it's like try to – and they they grew up around this hustle with their family members as well Mm -hmm. so their characters embody that and it's something about the pace and then also where it's filmed i i've never been to new york so i don't really know either but there's something about it that feels that way and you get the accents Mm -hmm. and you get the traffic and it's kind of rough around the edges yeah there's there's layers Mm -hmm. there's an underground and then there's the above ground and it's yeah, I don't know, following the law, not following it, but there's no, there's a there's a blurred line between the law that they film in, I feel mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, uh, I always notice that their movies are really loud. Mm. Like they're always there's always sound mm-hmm. going on of some sort. Yeah. Um I've seen I've seen three of their films. I've seen uh Uncut Gems, this one, and then I've also seen Daddy Long Legs, which I think is their first feature. Um and yeah, I mean they're all set in New York. They're all very like I feel like I've learned what New York is from the Safdie <laughs> brothers. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true at all because, I mean, there's plenty of films about L.A. where you're like, this is what L.A. is, and then you go, and it's horrible. <laughs> um, but, no, it like, they definitely – I know that they grew up there their whole life, um, and they're very – they seem to be almost like kings of the city. Even, like, small little, like, featurettes on them where they're just, like, walking around. There, there's, there's uh, like, a – interview with Josh Safdie where he's like walking around the streets and he like he passes by the train station and he like welcomes somebody to New York he just like pats them on the shoulder they like have all their luggage like it's, it's very like so like if you point a camera at the Safdie brothers in New York I think that they will create a Safdie brothers movie you mm-hmm. know what I mean mm-hmm. like they seem like such an integral part of the city there's something also about the like the idea of ownership over the city mm-hmm. like you grew up there it it molded you. This is your place, and right. like welcoming people at the subway station. Yeah. Like that's I don't know. It's something that I could see Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems doing, like that character as well. Yeah. yeah, and then when you're I guess creating something about that place, I don't know. They they have like complete control, you know, over mm-hmm. how re- how it's being reflected, mm-hmm. and it's like the New York they know and everything. Mm-hmm. I've only been to New York for a few days, also. So I feel like we're we none of us know no, New York at no all. No credibility. No. no, we're the the least you know genuine people to be talking about New York. Um, I thought that was interesting. You talked about sound. I think that'd be a good point to go off of. Um, I think we'll take a quick break and then we'll launch into sound music, all that my favorite stuff. Um, so coming up, um, we're gonna play "Shampoo Bottles" by Peach Pit. I think that's pretty new. That came out in the last week. Nice. <laughs> and then um, "Small Foreign Faction" by Haley Blay. Who's opening for Peach? Pit? Who's opening for Peach Pit on their new tour? Yeah. yeah. So that's really exciting. Um, yeah, we will be back. Sitting empty on the bathtub rail Wishing they could wash your hair Yeah, I keep them by that crumb of fancy soap And your toothbrush at my bathroom sink Your cell phone charger still hanging from the wall Haven't chucked it all like you think Though you haven't been around in weeks I've run out of my speed stick, honey So I have been using yours It's freaking trash all that
Fundrive 2020, CITR's annual fundraising week, is happening between February 5th and February 14th. This is the one week of the year where we ask you to dig deep and give what you can to support local, independent community radio. Our goal this year is to raise $30,000, which is a lot, but with your help, we can definitely get there. This year's Fundrive theme is Crush on CITR, and we've got some amazing crush-appropriate swag for you when you donate. We're talking about branded CITR and Discorder candy hearts, limited edition toques and mugs, and even on-air song dedications. That's right, donate the right amount and you can publicly express your crush on someone in maybe the most romantic way possible by dedicating a song to them which will play on CITR on Valentine's Day. Fun Drive is happening February 5th to the 14th, but you can show your love for CITR right now by going to citr.ca slash donate. And thank you. That's why we call them crushes. 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 It's the Shindig 2020 Final. CITR's 16-band Blood Sport Elimination Challenge is coming to a dramatic close on Friday, January 31st at Redgate Art Society. The four surviving bands are going head-to-head in one final night of a no-holds-barred musical knockout. Come down to Redgate this Friday to catch it all go down. Doors are at 8 p.m., $10 at the door, though no one will be turned away for lack of funds.
Disability. Disability. Mental health. ADHD and ADD. And many, many more topics we explore and cover. But where? On On CITR's All Access Pass. A unique and collectively run show on equity, inclusion, and creating awareness for people of all abilities in BC and around the world. Catch us every other Wednesday afternoon from 3 to 4. If you want more info or want to get involved, please find us on Facebook or send us an email at accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. Now the patriarchy is dead, and we killed it. If you identify as a woman, femme, trans, or non-binary, CITR wants you on the air. You can talk about literally whatever you want as long as you care about it. No worries if you have no experience, we'll train you in everything you need to know. Come by CITR and say hi. Hey, hi, hello. From 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday to help us never play Led Zeppelin on CITR 101.9 FM ever again. I could be you. Hey, welcome back to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, we've been talking about good time. I'm here with Brian and Bex. Hey, hey. Hi. Um, we left off talking about New York and place and all of that good stuff and Softy Brothers. Um, and we left off just touching on sound and music and things like that. So maybe that's where we can pick up. Um, I took horrible notes during this movie because I was so tired. But I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, there's never mm-hmm. a quiet moment. There's either, you know, like actual sounds of like someone walking Mm -hmm. or that kind of stuff or there's like music and soundtrack and very oftentimes it's like interweaved it's Mm -hmm. not just like oh let's take out all the sound of steps and just put in the music um i noticed how much of it was kind of choreographed together Mm -hmm. like i'm thinking i don't remember if it was a scene in the hospital where connie's walking and there's this kind of like pulsating well, yeah. music and then he like turns a corner and it slows and then like begins again but yeah. we still also hear the sound of him like touching folders to find his brother's name or the sound of his steps and all of mm. that whoever mixed this movie um deserves a lot of money and a big award <laughs> um because it's yeah it's 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 pretty incredible the way that like cuz like when you think of like a montage even cuz i would consider the there's like a couple montages at the beginning of the movie, or I guess there's just one during like the opening credits after Nick gets arrested, he gets sent to jail and then Connie's like trying to figure out how to bail him out. Um, and he's like retrieving the money that he hid after the robbery went wrong. It's a pretty substantial montage Mm -hmm. with like pretty substantial music underneath it. And the music is really loud and it it swells in certain places and it, it like it definitely sets the tone mm-hmm. as very stressful. Um, but you still hear everything that's going on in the diegetic space as well, which I think is, is something that is really admirable because it's so easy when you're making a montage to just say, OK, I'm just going to I'm just going to drop out all the mm-hmm. sound like this is a time where like we can st- like relax. I think that's the thing is that a lot of people see montage as like a place to relax that so we're going to compress a bunch of time. We're going to like cover a lot of narrative ground, but instead they see it as like a place to, I guess, build tension. Yeah. Um, it, like there, and there really isn't, um, I, I this is like a, been a common comment about, uh, good time versus uncut gems is that uncut gems kind of ebbs and flows. Like it feels more like a traditional narrative in that it's like, something bad happens and then it sort of is resolved and then something worse happens and it kind of is like growing and, and it's kind of like a kind of like a a rising wave but with this it's kind of just like a straight diagonal line where it's just like constantly going up and up and up and there really isn't a lot of breathing room no. and i think i think the music and i think the sound really really draw that out um i love the way that they do dialogue i don't know how they do it like i've tried to do scenes like that and it's just like to get the lines running over each other but they're all still pretty clean mm-hmm. 
and it's like you can you you know what's going on in the scene but like most of the lines are walked over by other lines and by other sounds you know there's like dogs barking in the background there's cars driving by in the background yeah it's so loud so much yelling so much yelling but i i like i again like i've watched this movie five times i've seen uncut gems twice i've seen like a lot of their stuff and i can't figure out how they do it i mean it's it's basically like it's like very taste style um but that's like an impenetrable thing like it's people just stop doing it after a while because they're like we don't know how to do this anymore and then i think the safties are kind of resurrecting it um but yeah so it almost feels like like the their work seems like a almost like a new genre Mm. me and bex were before the show started talking and we were thinking about um how it kind of has similarities to like drive we're just thinking about like the helicopter scene with the car Mm -hmm. And then, like, all the driving scenes, obviously, in Drive. Mm-hmm. And Drive also is very similar, kind of, like, pulsating yeah. electronic music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the pacing is very fast. But I think Drive relies way more on um, just, like, wiping all of the sound out and just having music. Mm-hmm. And it makes it more, like, immersive in a different yeah. way. Like, and, and they definitely had – it feels like a music video, you yeah. know? Like, you're really, totally. you're really into it, but mm-hmm. you're not necessarily feeling, like, the same stress level – that you are in good time. I guess an interesting thing mm-hmm. about Drive is that Drive is set in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I think it takes on a completely different pers- – like, it's literally about Hollywood. Uh, well, not entirely. But it's, like, there's a substantial chunk of it that's about the kind of the fame and the stardom and, like, the glamour of Hollywood. And then, like, the CD underbelly, which, like, Nicholas Winding Refn, who directed that, and he did, like, Neon Demon as well um, – is he's he's not from LA. He's from somewhere in Europe. I think he's like Swedish. I don't know, mm. but he's obsessed with LA and 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 the glamour and the artifice of it all. And mm. it seems like that's pretty much the opposite of what the Safties are about. Right. The Safties basically are trying to make documentaries. They just can't find the most interesting people. people, so they like combine four interesting people that they know in real life who like commit crimes and are like messed up all the time. And then they're like, okay, well, what if? There was like four of those people, and they're all in one person. And then we made Robert Pattinson do all those things. Like that's basically so they're yeah. so it's like kind of two two sides of the same coin, I guess. If the coin is reality, mm-hmm. um, yeah, their stuff feels really real. And and particularly in their earlier stuff, you're watching stuff, and you're like, oh, the people the people across the street that they're filming as well are just as confused as they would be if this were just like you know because as far as they're concerned, they shoot everything on long lenses. So their camera and their crew is always really far away from the action um, so that you can get these, like, really genuine moments from just, like, the public, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's something that you can maybe get away with, in New- again, not knowing anything about New York. <laughs> it seems like you can kind of get away with that in New York because it's such a dense city and it's such, like, a c- cacophony of, I guess, sound and just, like, action that – people aren't typically phased by strange things because strange things happen every day in New York. Um, so they can kind of get away with like getting these like really real scenarios instead of people stopping and looking around and be like, oh, there's a camera over there. Can't, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. punked. Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Vancouver. I admit every time I see a camera in Vancouver, I'm like, hi, hi mom. Yeah. I'm like an obnoxious <laughs> yeah. kid. Um, you mentioned Robert Pattinson. I just watched a lot of Twilight recently, so I'm just like reliving how, that how Robert recently? Pattinson. Oh, like in the last few months. <laughs> okay, that's good. Like I'm trying to watch all of them from the beginning. I loved it when I was like 12, you yeah. know, so I'm like it. rewatching it. Yeah. Um, but it's still interesting to see Robert Pattinson in like any other role for me. Like I'm still kind of, you know, yeah. shell-shocked from yeah. that transition. I was saying that last night where I remember seeing the Good Time trailer. And being like, Robert Pattinson, I'm not going to see it. And I'm glad that we all decided to watch it because it was incredible. And he's so not the mm-hmm. character that I've seen him be. Mm-hmm. Like, he was in Water for Elephants as well. Oh, yeah. And there's the same nah, Edward-y feeling <laughs> in this completely different, completely different Robert Pattinson. It yeah. Was, it was incredible. And I'm I'm upset that I didn't give him a chance and in that and i think a lot of people may not have as well mm-hmm. but i'm happy that he's not typecast yeah he's kind of breaking out he's what do you think about his his a... casting as connie i think it's phenomenal i mean so he he approached the safties oh. and was just like oh. i want to be in a movie and they're like uh <laughs> and then they're like well we have something um 
yeah, he saw, I think the story is that he saw the poster for Heaven Knows What, which is their last film. Mm. And was just like, these guys are cool. And then he like pursued them. Um, so that's kind of how they, so very un, non-traditional casting in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was, I thought he was so, so incredible the New in York this accent. movie. Yeah. Much better than his French accent yeah. in the king. <laughs> yeah, I've decided to not see. So I have, uh, and I'm not alone in this. I have a, a very severe adoration for new Robert Pattinson. Not to say that he was not like this when he was doing Twilight. I think that he was trapped in a five-year contract. Yeah. But um, I love all the work that he's doing now. So I've decided I'm just not going to watch The King because I've heard, like, not great things about it. (laughs) I didn't even watch it. I just just skimmed skimmed through to parts where he was, like, having a little monologue. Mm. I watched those. And then I and then I stopped watching it. Long. Like, I've, doesn't he have long hair? Long blonde hair. He has hair? long hair and yeah. has a horrible French not, accent. Not ideal. There's also something to like how he plays Connie, where you see in Connie's eyes or Robert Pattinson's eyes that he is Connie. Like there was a, comp- I don't know. Yeah, they're you very like totally melded personalities. Yeah, mm-hmm. and oh, just incredible. Like I'm trying to think of like even when that Zoom when we first meet Connie yeah. and walks in the room you're He's like this almost is like a unrecognizable character. I don't know this yeah. person yeah yeah but you see the charm the charisma the like just being able to talk his way through anything right at, in that Zoom like right as he walks in and pulls his brother brother out of the appointment I was like I love this mm-hmm. this is so so great you did mm-hmm. an incredible job I thought his relationship with the woman that he's like seeing Corey was interesting like yeah, like Jennifer her Jason Lee. her time yeah. in there is so brief yeah um but she's like, a she's an incredible character yeah I, she's so there's I've, so much I'm happening like, i'm right such there. a huge fan like the way that she like freaks out on her mom and then immediately apologizes oh my right. god like it's so well, her good. mom is trying to keep her away from connie yeah no like, like the i think the only like good-hearted character i mean i don't know i feel like everybody has good intentions in this movie uh, maybe I don't know. Um, I feel so bad for the for her mom. Like, she's like the only like like good intentioned person though. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like she she has such, she's just like, please stay stay, stay away from this. Don't use my credit card to give him ten thousand dollars. Incredible, right? And I I don't know. I mean, of course, I want to believe that Connie has good intentions for his brother and like genuinely cares about him. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I saw this like similar you know, manipulative, exploitative behavior that he exhibits towards his brother towards Corey as well. And you know, Annie. when he's trying to get the money. And Annie, yeah, girl. exactly. 16-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. it's like Woof. feigned, yeah, that's feigned a, sympathy that's or care or something. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't go anywhere. Can we touch on Annie a little bit? I think that would be yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When that scene started, I was like, no. There was. Yeah. So after he gets uh, Nick out of the hospital, um, he ends up at nearby. Uh, they take a bus to to people like to drop off people. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple on the bus that were the last drop off. So he just kind of got off where they got off. And he ends up knocking on their door and is like, my brother doesn't have a jacket. Uh, he's really cold. Mm-hmm. Can we just come in for a second? I use your phone. I need to call my mom. And it's kind of this boyish, like, look about him. It's mm-hmm. just like, I'm just trying to care for my brother who got out of the hospital. The woman's like, oh, yeah, of course. They come in, and um, they're an Ethiopian family and in kind of a small home. And you can see the the grandparents of this 16-year-old girl named Annie and they kind of let Connie, they give him a room and they're like, oh, you can hang out here until your mom comes to pick you up. And the grandparents or the grandma heads to bed and Annie is 16, still awake. She's going to watch some shows. And so she's just talking to Connie a little bit. And when does it really escalate? It's when they're watching TV they're and then wa- a news yeah. a news broadcast comes up with Connie's face mm-hmm. right. so of it's, it's them being like, so we're still he, searching for this guy. Right. right, when he's watching cops and he changes it because he doesn't want to see them justify it, they change it to the news and then his face pops up. Right. And so he kisses her then, yeah. so that she doesn't see his face on the And I think there TV. was like a little, he had been charming and he went to get food from their fridge and like had asked a few questions and was like, oh, you're 
you're much more mature. I don't know. Said he's, he's kind of he said something comments. about like, oh, you look, you don't, you look older than sixteen, right. which is like, ooh, yeah. also, it wasn't true. No, <laughs> not at all. She had, like a little bow in her hair, but yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, it was the costuming for her was so interesting versus like what he saw and what she, how she acted. I thought yeah. that was interesting. And then there's also this kind of not a huge deal made about it, but when he opens their fridge to look for food and he's just like, you know, what is this shit? Like yeah. there's no real food in there. Um and I think he I don't know if it's like sympathy or pity or what, but like the he, that's when it, like I think it kind of changes the way he looks at her. Hmm. You know, and he watches her like make these chicken nuggets and he's like how old are you these kind of questions and i just i almost wonder if that like in his mind he's constantly like i'm not like these people i'm not like those people i'm not a loser oh if he's just like with each of these characters being introduced he's like separating himself from them he's not crazy like how he sees Corey. um he's not like his brother he's not like ray and or maybe when he sees Annie, he's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be like this. You know, I don't want to live in these kinds of like conditions. Also- or if, any- if anything, I think he like saw what he already was. Right. Because like like having the generation apart and like living with your grandparents and your grandparents being an Im- like an immigrant mm. grandparent. That's right? true. Um, that's and that parallel. sort of disconnection. Um, so I think he did find some some sort of. Symp- well, I don't know if he found sympathy in that, though, because then he kind of he still kind of used her. Like, I feel like I he, think, maybe he used her more than anybody else in the movie. Yeah. I think it's, um, it was really highlighted his privilege, how he walked around their home and talked to them. Totally. And I think also how he used her, um, just like as a white man walking into that home. And also he looked at their fridge and just didn't know what anything was. And I think, I don't know. It definitely highlighted what he was coming into and that he thinks he's better than this family and better Mm -hmm. than most people he interacts with. Yeah. Which I guess is like a huge driving force behind a lot of his actions. Right. That he's Mm -hmm. trying to like, he he sees himself as some kind of exception that he can like get through this night and he can make it out on top Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Um, but yeah, um, what's his name? Oh, Connie and Ray, who is actually the person that Connie broke out of the hospital. It's not his brother. brother. Mm -hmm. Which I'm like, you'd think you'd recognize your brother. I don't know. Ray's very skinny. His brother's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, they end up going to this theme park where Ray and some friends had stashed a bunch of money and some acid. Um, but Ray doesn't remember exactly where it is. Anyways, this whole altercation happens and Connie has to pretend to be a security guard. And and there's a moment where he sees Annie, you know, being arrested for what the cops think the cops think she has something to do with no reason at all things happening at this theme park even though she's just walking around like super non-threatening um that scene was pretty painful and then she like just makes eye contact with connie and and while connie was like oh that's not that's not her like it wasn't a girl that was involved in this they still take her away and just in her eyes she's completely like let down yeah totally kind of gutted yeah yeah that was rough the Connie took the security guard's outfit that he had like knocked out. Um, the security guard was black and Connie put on this outfit and was a white security guard. And the policemen that showed up were all white that responded. And I think they, they tied Mm -hmm. this black security guard with this black young girl that Mm -hmm. they saw walking around Mm -hmm. and they had no, they, she was just walking around and they put her in the back of the police car. Yeah. And I think at that moment, it just, I don't know. I think there's something with the Safdie brothers that they're doing, highlighting the, t- the time right now or ha- has how it's been always um, with racial profiling mm-hmm. and just trusting this white security guard because he's white. Yeah. Right. I think that can be tied to Even their like bank robbery as well. Even though he did say she has well. nothing to do with it. Yeah. And their bank Yeah, the robbery. bank robbery as well. That was very – that was like – I remember that made me really uncomfortable the first time I watched it because I was yeah. like – So those were real <sighs> bank rob robbing masks like people use those um the costume department and production design department found these masks of black men faces black black yeah black men mm-hmm. and they put them on when they were robbing the bank and 
you see them and you're like wait what that's them and you can see that it doesn't look necessarily like super real but i think if it was like on camera yeah they look like black men Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then they're kind of the whole act of like taking it off Mm -hmm. and changing clothes and everything i was just like in my head i was like they're totally gonna get away with this like they're so on the radar now right because it seems so it seems so kind of heinous to do that right to just basically like pretend to be another race in order like that seems like such an ultimate way of like trying to like shill your own identity and like particularly like when it comes to like robbing a bank right mm-hmm. it's like oh they're looking for somebody that doesn't even look like me you know um it seems kind of ingenious but it's like the the level of like dignity and the level of kind of just like worldly respect that you have to like disregard in order to get to that point mm-hmm. was something that that i remember even the first time i watched it really like kind of struck me as like wow like these people are really they don't really have a whole lot of like social regard for consciousness because mm-hmm. their their own social state they basically decided that like you know They're that's like like being concerned about like you know racial issues all that that's for other people that's for people who have Houses, that's for people who have jobs. I have to do my own thing. So, like, it's kind of anything goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was that was pretty striking. Yeah, that was that was intense. Mm-hmm. Um, in our last, I don't know, five five minutes, four minutes or so here, any final points anyone wanted to talk about? I uh, the lighting. I actually like talking about the lighting mm-hmm. in it, um, or just the colors they right after the red ink explodes it gets all over them and they're running and they're running down this sidewalk and the whole building is red and then the columns that we see them through are red as well and i just i like that and then when they're in annie's home Mm -hmm. you get these it's like there's not a single balanced light in there it's like everything's green it's practicals and then red and green and then the tv light as well that was just mixed such an interesting setup was they the the grandma like shows him into the in connie into his room that he can stay in for the night and she has this line about oh there's no lights in this room we have to use the tv and so it's such like they a just turn the TV on. It's just it's static. static. Yeah, it's such a cheeky, <laughs> like and so the whole movie. room is uh, is this kind of like fuzzy blue, hazy. Mm-hmm. Lots tone. of shadows bouncing. And it's very like what a what a clever way. It's not even that clever. It's just like they're just like, well, we need to do something cool with the lighting in this scene. <laughs> uh, make it part of the script. Yeah, and so they just make it, it diegetic, and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, it has to be a TV. And uh, yeah, I, that was that was a blast. But then so much of the lighting is not explained as well. But you mm-hmm. buy it because it's just like a bonkers story that you're like, yeah, of course, his face is going to be entirely red in this scene. Right. You know. And they really relied on that in that house. Like there was not mm-hmm. a lot of pieces, like set pieces, that created the atmosphere. It was the lighting completely, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Yeah, I was thinking about too when he's on the bus to that place on the accessor ride bus. There's that like really weird red lighting in the bus. Yeah, that I mm-hmm. can't imagine a bus that yeah, has where's that, that lighting. Coming from? You know, yeah. But um, I don't know. It's just so stressful when they're leaving the hospital. Like you can see Connie just like mm-hmm. we need to go, but then like, like the whole him. like the wheelchair mechanism is just moving really slow and he can he can like see the cop on the first floor yeah. of the hospital yeah like waiting for the announcement you know mm-hmm. that, that someone's been broken out that was like the red, yeah the red light helps with the panic yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the fear it was a lot oh man i like i think i don't love movies where i can't like relax for a second there's no breathing room no in breathing we were, i was saying that he doesn't even we don't even see his home we don't see him sleep. Yeah. We don't see him eat. Mm-mm. We don't actually see him eat those chicken nuggets. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. yeah. Where does he live? No, we don't. They we see his grandma. grandma's we place, right. like just a little bit when um, she answers the phone call from uh, his brother. Oh, yeah. From prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas in Uncut Gems, he has like two places that he lives and like he, you see that he's lived there or he doesn't, we don't see him sleep either though. I think no that helps us not rest as mm-hmm. I think yeah I think that's a big thing yeah. like not seeing it and even like yeah like you don't even I mean with good time it predominantly takes place over one night yeah but in uncut gems yeah they do a really good job of like you don't know what day it is or like you sort of do because there's a ticking clock on that's that's 
that's for the uncut gems discussion. Yes. But but they have a really good job. They do a really good job of of really not letting you. I guess like, okay, now the, it's the end of the day. Okay, now it's the start of the new day. It's like it's None just of that. just going very confusing. Very yeah, chaotic. there's no markers of of time really. Yeah, it's like the same costume, same outfit. But then somehow, yeah, as stressful as it was, like I think the ending is the ending like gave me some kind of solace. Mm. Yeah, as as it seems as like anxious yeah. as I was. Well, it seems like the the right thing did happen in the end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I mean we assume Connie ends up in jail. He gets, he gets mm-hmm. arrested, and his brother um, gets out of jail. Yeah, and then we see his brother back in therapy, and just yeah, something that his therapist said. He was like, "Both of you have ended up exactly where you need to yeah, be." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Without ever saying Connie's in prison, and he mentions you know Connie did the right thing. Connie did the right yeah. thing. So it sounds like Connie you know cleared his brother's name mm-hmm. and admitted fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I really like that we never saw that I I like that we never saw Connie in like a courtroom setting. Or oh anything. yeah, that would I think that would have ruined a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just cutting to like his brother being in therapy and like playing this cross the room exercise of like, have you ever been? Have you ever had family drama? Have you ever disagreed yeah. with your family? Yeah. And that's the first one where he moves. And I really just felt like he, he knows growing. what's happening and yeah. is like accepting that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I sorry. Last one. I thought the 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 one that made me cry the most, I think I, yeah, like, yeah, was the last one where it's something about like, do you have a friend? And then he crosses the room with Mm -hmm. that. That was that's the tearjerker. Yeah, we're gonna be done here, but thanks for tuning in for a good time. It was a good time. It was a good time. And yeah, you hear from us uh, not next week, but the week after. Um, remember to check out citr.ca slash donate for our fun drive stuff. And yeah, thanks, Bex and Brian, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Bye. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. I have no idea what that means. Somebody just asked me to say this.